This free program is paid for by the listener members of KPFK. If you're not already a member, consider joining with us and keep free speech alive. You're going to love this. Just love it. Stuck in the middle with you. Right in the middle. Keep it cranking there, uh, G. Right in the middle. Stuck in the middle with you. Middle of the week. Middle of the world. Live here in Los Angeles on KPFK 90.7 FM Los Angeles. 98.7 FM in Santa Barbara. 93.7 FM in San Diego, 99.5 FM in Ridgecrest and China Lake, and of course, coast to coast and around the globe on kpfk.org. And now, on the Stitcher radio app on your smartphone, any old time, you can listen to your broadcast. I am, of course, Brad Friedman, your friendly citizen, investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow says me, uh, here with you again this afternoon. Uh, delighted to be here. Another big show, and uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens here. We've got a, a special guest on the way. Should I say who it is? Should I say, Dad, should I say who it is? <clears throat> I'll just say it's, um, I'll just say the word Etch-a-Sketch. Etch-a-Sketch is on his way to the studio, and it's a he. Now you know. All right. We'll see if Etch-a-Sketch makes it here in time, and we'll then explain why we call him Etch-a-Sketch. And if you don't know, well, then you haven't been paying attention. So uh, we're looking very much forward to that. We're also going to be speaking in this hour uh, with Mark McCaffrey from the National Science, I'm sorry, he's the, yeah, the National Center for Science Education about this rather remarkable turn of events after the Koch Brothers-funded physicist Richard Muller uh, who was a climate change skeptic, uh, has now uh, turned a pretty big corner. Last uh, Late last year, he actually came out, uh, was working on a study funded by the Koch brothers and said, well, you know what, I've looked at all the data and, um, yeah, I was a skeptic, but uh, global warming is real. <laughs> and now Richard Muller has gone a step further in, uh, in an amazing op-ed in the New York Times uh, over the weekend saying that not only is global warming real <clears throat> and happening, but it is caused, uh, here, I'm now going a step further, he writes, humans are almost entirely the cause. That's the uh, Koch brothers scientist saying that uh, global warming is real, human beings are the cause, and we're going to talk about what all that means and doesn't a little bit later with uh, Michael McCaffrey. From the National Science, can you hear me shuffling these pages around? From, from the uh, National Center for Science Education, and uh, and what this means for the uh, for the fight for uh, global warming, 
in the middle of this hottest summer on record. And, uh, well, that should be interesting. And also, he's uh, actually works with their education policy over there at the uh, NCSE and uh, fights to get the climate change onto the, uh, onto the curriculum in uh, schools around the country. Meanwhile, while the uh, right-wingers at the Heartland Institute is, are trying to get uh, climate change denialism Onto that same curriculum. Go figure. All right. So we're going to talk about that. Uh, a couple of uh, pieces of business to clean up from <clears throat> last week. I, um, I, I sort of went on a, on a, on a half hour rant. Let's call it a primal scream, if you will, about the NRA in the wake of the Aurora, Colorado massacre. And, um, as you recall, if you heard the show, I, I called the NRA, uh, terrorist enablers. I call them terrorist enablers actually time and time again uh, over the course of that rant. So um, with a week in, in retrospect here, I'd, I'd sort of like to issue an apology. I wish I had called them terrorist enabling NRA about five or ten more times. They declined to appear last week. Uh, they told us that, uh, quote, NRA is still not doing interviews. This was last week. We believe that now is the time for families to grieve and for the community to heal. There will be an appropriate time down the road to engage in political and policy discussions, they told us. Well, here we are a week later. And we asked them uh, if if now was the appropriate time down the road to engage in political and policy discussions. And uh, Desi Doyne, did did you hear back from the NRA? Did they what they they didn't uh, no no response at all this time around? No response whatsoever. Didn't even have the courtesy yeah. to give us a reply. So the, I guess this is not the appropriate time, according to the NRA, to discuss. Uh, whether it's appropriate for someone to spend, uh, to be able to buy 6,000 rounds of ammunition on the internet without even being tracked, while I have to give my driver's license to be scanned if I want to buy a, uh, a bottle of Sudafed. But, uh, 6,000 rounds on the internet, nobody tracks it, nobody registers it, 100 round magazines over the internet that can uh, shoot, let's see, four Americans per second, or in this case, uh, 60 or 70 Americans can be shot per minute. Um, <clears throat> but of course now is not the appropriate time to engage in political and policy discussion according to the terrorist enabling NRA. We will continue to find out, and, and by the way, they weren't the only ones who wouldn't come uh, on the show. We also asked the Colorado State Shooting Association to join us. They declined. Arizona State Rifle and Pistol Association, they declined on and on and on. California, Arkansas, Florida, Texas. We tried to find someone who would defend the fight to make sure that guys like Gerald Loeffner in, uh, in, in Tucson, Arizona, and uh, James Holmes in Colorado could have these high-capacity magazines to kill as many Americans as possible. For some reason, they did not want to defend it. Neither did, uh, let's see, about uh, eight different politicians uh, that we checked with who all had A-plus or A-grades from the NRA. For some reason, they don't want to have this discussion. What is that reason? Because they're cowards and they're terrorist enablers. And we stand by that here on the broadcast. Okay, uh, we're still waiting for our guest to get here, but I have a, a, a couple of items of business here that I do want to hit. Um, I don't know, because we haven't been able to cover this in a while. As you know, if you listen to the broadcast, if you listen to bradblog.com, you know we spend a whole lot of time not on the horse race 
in this presidential election, but on the track conditions on which the horses are running. So we've got a bit of an update um, as the Republicans around the country continue Instead of uh, trying to, you know, win the election by having the best ideas and the best policies, uh, they continue to try to keep people from voting. Nowhere more so than in the state, the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania, where the Republicans there have passed a photo ID law that uh, could be, it, it's certainly the most important one in the country right now because it is uh, the only swing state, as they like to call them, uh, where, this, uh, where these photo ID restrictions are being put in place. A couple weeks ago, we reported that 750,000 eligible voters would be affected by this, may not be able to vote this fall. And I will also remind you that Barack Obama won the state of Pennsylvania in 2008 by just over 600,000 votes. So <clears throat> more voters, according to this initial study, would be affected uh, than the uh, margin of Barack Obama over John McCain in 2008. And now that number has gone higher as uh, folks have realized that a lot of people do have photo IDs that are going to expire before the November election, bringing the total of eligible voters who may not be able to cast their vote in the presidential election in the swing state of Pennsylvania to some 1.6 million Voters. Now, that is just a fact. Those are the numbers. They're based on numbers from the state of Pennsylvania. Now, this week, a uh, trial got underway. Uh, the ACLU is, uh, is challenging this law, saying that it is in violation of the Pennsylvania Constitution. And before the uh, trial began, they entered a stipulation, an agreement with, uh, with, with the state, with the Commonwealth. And this is just amazing. Uh, a, a stipulation is essentially, you know, they agree on certain facts that they will talk about, that they won't talk about during the trial. And in this case, this was the stipulation. They agreed, the ACLU and the state of Pennsylvania, who is uh, likely to keep 1.6 million legal voters from being able to cast their vote, here was the stipulation, quote, there have been no investigations or prosecutions of in-person voter fraud in Pennsylvania. And the parties do not have direct personal knowledge of any such investigations or prosecutions in other states. The parties are not aware of any incidents of in-person voter fraud in Pennsylvania and do not have direct personal knowledge of in-person voter fraud elsewhere. Respondents, that's the, uh, that's the Commonwealth, the state, will not offer any evidence in this action that in-person voter fraud has, in fact, occurred in Pennsylvania or elsewhere. And finally, respondents will not offer any evidence or argument that in-person voter fraud is likely to occur in November 2012 in the absence of this photo ID law. Got that? Game over. For all the Republicans out there running around claiming that in-person voter fraud is happening, it's not. And the state of Pennsylvania has admitted it. And when I say in-person voting fraud, that's uh, in-person impersonation, the only type of voter fraud that can possibly be deterred by photo ID at the polling place, which is what this law calls for and what the laws call for all over the country where Republicans are passing the same thing and where Republicans are similarly 
unable to find a single case of in-person voter impersonation that would have been stopped by these laws. That is the lie. And now the state of Pennsylvania has admitted that it is a lie. Now, of course, if anybody's been paying attention, and we have at bradblog.com been paying attention since uh, for the last 10 years, well, I don't know where the hell the rest of the media was as this uh, scam was being put forward by Republicans. But if anybody was paying attention, they would have seen just a few months ago when this ballot, uh, when this bill was going through uh, the legislature in Pennsylvania, Governor Tom Corbett, the Republican governor, as this bill was being debated, he came out and uh, told reporters that uh, this bill was needed. Why? Because there was, quote, 112% turnout in some precincts. There was 112% turnout in some precincts in Pennsylvania. The governor lied. I spoke with uh, election experts, election integrity folks in Pennsylvania. They say the charge is absolutely ludicrous. There was no 112% turnout in any precincts. In short, Governor Tom Corbett was making it up. He also uh, went on to admit recently, Tom Corbett did, that he has absolutely no idea what uh, photo IDs are actually now uh, eligible to allow a voter to vote in the state of Pennsylvania. Did he even read the bill? This is what happened when uh, the governor was confronted by reporters who said, hey, we found another study that says, you know, 1.6 million people, that's a million more than you had said previously, will not be able to cast their vote this November because their, uh, because their ID has, has expired. Here's Tom Corbett, governor of Pennsylvania's response. What do you mean the registration expired last year? Okay. Well, but there are other forms of ID, so I don't know where people are getting the data as to how many people don't have. Because the other forms of ID could be student ID. Um, we've been working with the nursing homes to get people new ID. It can be military ID. Um, there's two or three other forms right now off the top of my head. I don't have it here in front of me. Two or three other forms off the top of his head he doesn't have it right here in front of him. The governor of Pennsylvania has no idea what no idea what ID uh, can be used to vote in Pennsylvania in the presidential election after he signed a law that could disenfranchise 1.6 million legal voters. It gets worse, uh, but uh, well, let me. Do I welcome you? I'm, I, I didn't tell anybody uh, who you were. I just said uh, etch a sketch. I gave that as the hint. About who you were. Yes, I'm Eric Ferns from Mitt Romney's Communications Director. Yes, there you go. <laughs> now we got to get... Hey, John. Good morning. I'll, I'll good afternoon, Brad. Good after, you see, you're used to doing Stephanie Miller's yeah, show, so it's always so good long, morning. I know. I, know. I know. It's pathetic. All right. I'll give you proper uh, introduction in a moment. Okay. Let me just finish good. this Thank thought. You. Uh, I won't. Okay. But uh, let me uh, finish this thought. And by the way, you are free to uh, jump in and heckle all you like. Yeah, my compliments to the Koch brothers on making it so hard for poor, old, and black people to vote. <sighs> it's the least they can do. It's the most they can do. It's the only chance they have, if you ax me. Uh, just to finish this uh, uh, news here, uh, this week, actually yesterday, the Secretary of the Commonwealth, Carol Eichele, I believe is how you pronounce her name, she was, uh, as it turns out, by the way, the Secretary of the Commonwealth, Secretary of State, the top election official in uh, in Pennsylvania, happens to be the wife 
of Governor Tom Corbett's uh, chief of staff. Really? Yeah. And uh, she got the job as... I'm sure that happens all the time. It was just an accident. Uh, she got the job as the Secretary of the Commonwealth. Earlier, uh, they had, as this bill was going through, the Secretary of the Commonwealth, Karen I- Carol Eichley, had said that um, just 1% of the voters in Pennsylvania would be affected by this new law, which, of course, to me, is 1% too much. Because, you know, rights, when it comes to rights... So one out of ten of you won't <laughs> be able it. to vote, and your vote won't count, it, even though you're a law-abiding citizen. What the, are you complaining about? There is this notion that people have that if not that many people lose their rights, then it's okay. That's not how rights work. Rights work <laughs> if one person loses their right, that law is unconstitutional. Well, the <clears> law is <throat> unconstitutional, or the law is being violated? Uh, the law, no, in this case, it would be unconstitutional because they passed oh, the, the law. the law that takes away their rights. Well, of course. That takes away their rights. And, and so she had said, oh, it's only going to be 1%. And it's now a, we is, find out. the point that, like, no rights have ever been given by the government. Every right we enjoy has been fought for and won. God, and given by God. John, is they're not given going? by God it's either. No, okay. they have been fought for by progressives. Yeah. Every right you can name is because someone wanted to make society better. And so now we're learning they also have to be re-fought for and rebattled. To try to keep the rights that we have. Yeah. So it's not 1%. As it turns out, it's 20% of the voters may not be able to vote in Pennsylvania this November. Carol Eichley was on the stand in this uh, trial challenging this law. Um, uh, the ACLU is, is taking this case, calling it unconstitutional under the state constitution. Carol Eichley was uh, asked where she got that 1% number. Essentially, she said she had no idea. <laughs> and uh, she said, quote, I don't know what the law says. She's in charge of overseeing this law. This November, the Secretary of State has no idea what the law says. Fascinating. This law is an absolute scam. People need to call it. Are you saying it's a piece of legislation rammed through a legislature that no one got to read? What conservative wouldn't be outraged? Oh, they 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 uh, they read it. They just uh, actually no, they didn't read it. They don't care. Well, they don't care. The Koch brothers gave them the okay, and and that was that. And I was driving over here, Brad, listening as I as I uh, romped through the traffic. And I I really uh, I I heard you talking about how the only kind of voter fraud there really is is in post in person. In person, that's right. I mean, you know, you could easily commit (laughs) fraud with your mail in ballot if you wanted to. You sinister. Devil you. And that does happen. I'm sure it does. That does happen. And you know what? The current crop of Republicans is the best argument for voting by mail ballot ever, by the way. You think you're, so? Well, first off, if they're going to make you, you don't need to show an ID to vote by ballot, to vote by mail to and ballot. To vote by mail. <clears throat> but, uh, well, you know what? Let me get into this argument with you in a second. Let me give you a proper introduction. Okay. Because like, I have, I have two more points, idea. and one of them is interesting. All right. I'll, I'll, I'll let you do at least half of them. Uh, my guest in the studio today if you haven't figured it out yet, is John Fugelsang, New York and L.A.-based comedian, TV and radio personality, uh, a contributor to CNN, uh, Fox News, CNBC, and P- when, he, when was the last time you were on Fox? You been on there lately? I did the 15th anniversary special for Fox and Friends. At the Villages in Florida, I shared oh, a green room man. with Oliver North, Dana Perino, Governor Rick Scott, <laughs> and Michelle Malkin. Governor Rick Scott, so that must have been recently. I, I was not too long ago, <clears throat> and I asked him if he would please leave Harry Potter alone. He is a regular on the, the uh, progressive talk show, Stephanie Miller's show, and uh, which is also now seen on Current TV, disc- uh, called Talking Liberally over there for three hours every morning. John is on Friday. Fridays with Fugle Sang. Still, every right? Friday, yes. Every Friday. He's also a frequent guest host for Stephanie. He's been stour- touring with Stephanie Miller and Hal Sparks in the Sexy Liberal Comedy Tour, which I believe uh, is the number one comedy album in the nation. Uh, well, it was. No, it was? no, no. It was never the number one comedy album 
in the nation, but it was, was. the first comedy album, yeah. the first political comedy uh, album political comedy. to there ever reach number one on Amazon, Billboard, nice. and iTunes comedy charts. Nice. Completely independent, self-released with the word liberal in the title. You mean because the there are so few liberals in America. The Koch brothers were not helping you get the word out. On uh, this. Believe it or not, no. We're going to make the next one a ballet recital, so we can put it up at their house in New York. As of today, as of this morning, John and thank Fugel you for coming to the sexy had... liberal comedy show on Saturday night. Oh, it was a huge smash! We played the, at Pantages the Pantages here yeah, in Los fabulous. Angeles. We had Lily Tomlin and yep. Rob Reiner join us on stage, and it was such a blast to see you afterwards. It was a blast to be there. It was a blast to see this house full of people. You know, I'm I'm sick and tired of hearing people say there's there's no interest in progressive talk. Yep. That's why you have uh, Rush Limbaugh. That's yep. why you have all of these uh, clowns on the radio. The audience isn't out there, Brad. Uh, Come on. Yeah, there's nobody there except for these thousands of people who were going absolutely crazy at the Pantages on... Uh, yeah, we had a sold-out house at the Pantages, and it's for a show that was, you know, independently produced, has the word liberal in the name, and is, you know, a radio show host and two comedians. Now, uh, as of this morning, you also uh, had a big announcement, and uh, that I you... Did. Oh, let me let you uh, go. I'd make the big announcement there. Well, Mr. I'm, big shot. I'm 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 transitioning to being a woman, and uh, I, knew I, it. I was really I pleased knew to it. take it here. Uh, not from being a man, from being a sissy. I'm transitioning. I was going to say, yeah. No, uh, I announced that I am Mitt Romney's running mate, and um, I'm delighted about it. Uh, I'm, he's, no, you know that's not it. Either. Uh, I'm you going to keep. Be, keep I'm going to be doing uh, my own primetime uh, series this fall on Current TV. There we go. And nice. uh, I'm very happy to be joining that family. Nice. Uh, a, a nightly show. It'll be a nightly show. It'll uh, be on the later end of the primetime lineup. Uh, one hour every single night. Yes, that's what they tell me, whether you like it or not. Do you have enough material for that, John? Five days a week? Have you thought about this <laughs> well, in advance? Well, here's the thing about television. Apparently, you, yeah. you know, one person doesn't do it all by themselves. Did you know this? What? Act, they actually have producers and, and, and staff and writers. You get Really? You get people? Well, I'm hoping that... Uh, I've had the real privilege of filling in for a lot of shows for them in the past month. Get me a TV show. This is... It's, uh, it's interesting. They Well, I, I filled in for Governor Granholm for right. a week, and then I filled in for Governor Spitzer for a week, right. and then I filled in for Governor Miller for a week, uh, and so I was the scam of the month uh, on current <laughs> and you know all i mean both governor Granholm and Spitzer have terrific staffs on their show, mm-hmm. some really dedicated news professionals who, you know, I think at first may have been a bit leery of having a, a clown come into their midst mm-hmm. to, to fill in for the governor. Right. Uh, but in both cases, it was, it was you know, a lot of fun. And there's a lot of really creative people in television news. And, and I want to try and do something that, you know, will combine uh, creative types with journalistic types and see what we can get well, going. Well, you know, we should also say, though you're a comedian, I, I, I think you were behind perhaps one of the biggest stories of this campaign hmm. news cycle, right. and that's why we called you Mr. Etchiskett. You want to you fill in for anybody who doesn't I'm, know I'm proud to be why a, we call a you a minor historical footnote in a very ugly, uh, sad presidential campaign. It is. Uh, well, I've been a regular, uh, frequently, on Soledad O'Brien's show mm-hmm. on CNN in the mornings. and, um, and, and uh, Who's coming around, by the way? I'm liking what she's doing. She's terrific. She's beginning to kick some ass. She Can I is say that on so the great. Yeah. Uh, and right. and I, I really, it was a pleasure working with her because I never really got her until I worked with her yeah. and saw what a pro she is. I mean, Soledad O'Brien is so far beyond 90% of the corporate media journalists out there. And uh, I'd love to see her be able to to spread her wings even more. She has been quite impressive lately. But tell me, okay, she's so tell me what a ferocious <coughs> interview. So what did you do? How did you uh, get your asterisk in the? Uh, I, I won't be on that show again. I'll, I'll tell you about my really? last experience later. But okay. my, the last time I was on, pretty much guaranteed, I won't be on that show again. But uh, one morning we had Eric Fernstrom on. He's Governor Romney's communications director. Right. And this is at the in in uh, mid March uh, of this year, at the height of the of the uh, the, the apex of the climax.
climax of the, the, of the, of the presidential uh, campaign season in the primaries yeah. when both Gingrich and Santorum were piling on Governor Romney for not being a real conservative. Right. So, uh, you know, Mr. Fernstrom's there, and he's known Mitt a long time, and they're old friends, and, uh, and he was a cool guy. And, and uh, to my shock, Soledad turned to me and gave me the nod that, do you want to ask a question, nod? Mm-hmm. Which I wasn't expecting, you know, because no. normally I get to ask, you know, the, the, the great celebrity who's there flogging a book or, or something right. a question. So I knew exactly what I wanted to ask Mr. Fernstein. Oh, good. Uh, which was essentially, all these guys are saying that Mitt Romney is not conservative enough, but isn't the real problem that he's too conservative to win? In America, isn't he just he's back himself into a corner and he's too conservative, but you can't say that. So you've got to try and dress it up in news talk. Mm -hmm. So I said, good morning, sir. Um, Considering that last time out, Governor Romney faced a considerably more moderate opponent in Senator McCain. Um, and considering how far that Santorum and Gingrich have made the governor tack to the right, isn't there a concern that he may have moved, had tacked so far to the right that he'll have a difficult time reaching independents and moderates in the general election? And that was my way of saying he's too conservative. Right. And, uh, like, you've blown it already. Mm-hmm. And Mr. Fernstrom replied, oh, no, not at all. The generals, it's <laughs> like you hit a reset button. I thought, really? And he said, it's, it's really like an Etch-A-Sketch. Now, uh, he never called Mitt an Etch-A-Sketch. I right. should point that. He never said that Mitt Romney was. He said the general election is an Etch-A-Sketch where we just... We shake it up. Yeah, it was actually much more insulting. He didn't insult Mitt. He insulted the voters. Right. He insulted the the uh, reading and, and listening comprehension of the voters and said that we will shake a blank slate and you will completely forget all of this. And in doing so, he really backed Mitt into a corner because now Mitt has to hold tight to all those regressive positions he took in the primary season. And I really look forward to the liberal media starting to ask him tough well, questions. You know about what? That. This is a lot of people over the past few days, I don't know if you've seen this, have been saying, hey, why is he not moving back to the center? Why is Mitt not moving back, you know, for the general election? You can thank Santorum and Gingrich. <laughs> well, I think we can thank you because, frankly, I think going on record saying, oh, it's just like an etch-a-sketch. We just shake it up and uh, the, uh, the electorate is too stupid to notice. They notice now. Yeah. That Etch-A-Sketch was a thing for, you know, a week or two. Uh, that was the news. Longer than that, Brad, I was yeah. shocked in the moment that he admitted it. Because, yeah. you know, one thing about Governor Romney, he, yeah, I want to say something nice about the guy. I mean, he's raised five young boys. His wife's a, a, a great stay-at-five-homes mom. Um, but Governor Romney lies an awful lot. And he lies stupid. He lies big <laughs> and obvious and he stupid. Does. I mean, like, it, you know, this guy would be a horrific adulterer. He was just, he'd be a failure. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> Don Draper would laugh at this man. He's such a bad liar. And, 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 you know, I mean, from like the president has apologized, oh, oh, gone around apologizing for America. The president's never done anything of the kind. There's an attack on Wall Street. You know, I mean, the Joseph Smith story checks out. The guy lies a lot. He does. A- and so I didn't expect anything of this. And by the way, that's not an attack. That's just a fact. Yeah. I mean, you, you, you may like him or you may not like him, but the no, fact he lies. is he just lies. He lies. It, and it's he unbelievable. Lies poorly. And I mean, yeah. we can say all politicians lie and they have some nuance. Mm-hmm. They break promises and that gets called a lie. This guy lies big, stupid, yeah. broad, and obvious. And he just, I mean, I don't know how his, he can't just get nailed already. I mean, and they're starting to. The press realizes the contempt the Romney campaign has for them. And so the press is going to start having some teeth on this guy. They're going to go after this guy like they never went after Bush because Mitt Romney lacks all the social skills that George Bush had so well. And yet, uh, I'm not entirely convinced, by the way, that uh, he will end up being be, being the nominee. Nor am I. But if this is Survivor, you know, like, he's the guy who's not playing the social game. I, I mean, I think really guys, blow it. These guys are in trouble. I think they know they're in trouble with this yeah. guy as a candidate. That's but why they're doing what they're doing with the voting system. His nomination is in no danger, Brad. He's raised I, too much money. No, no, no. He's raised 
too much money. His no, nomination you know is in no danger. His super PACs have raised money. The outside groups have raised money. I'm not sure that he, as a candidate, has actually raised that's, all that money. There, that's You're the smartest kid in class. So Brad. we'll see. That's why uh, now, I promised I will let you uh, come around to telling us why you thought uh, voting by mail was a good idea. Oh, sure. But let me just finish one thing. I okay. got in the car after CNN to come home, yeah. and I looked on my iPhone and checked out Twitter, and I saw that Etch-A-Sketch was the number one trending topic. Oh, did it? <laughs> so it really nice. actually made me happy, not because yeah. I did anything great. It took me a second to, oh, my God, that's me. Yeah. Uh, and that night, I was on every news channel in, in the world. Yeah. I had people calling me from the U.K. who were seeing me. I have a newborn baby. And that was the week we brought him home. So I already am like, you know, as pale as an albino mime. <laughs> I look like Skeletor in this video. And it was because run over and over. And then all the right wingers came out and said, well, why did CNN let, her, let an entertainer ask a question instead of a real jerk? These Glenn Beck fans and Limbaugh fans, angry and entertainer asked a question which instead is of what a, they, a vetted journalist. Which is what they cling to. Every that, time they say something stupid, they say, well, I'm not a journalist. I'm an exactly, entertainer. Exactly. And that's Glenn Beck's get out of jail right. card time and time again. Right. And then they were all saying how Eric Fernstrom should refuse to answer a question from a phony journalist, blah, blah, blah. But then they began coming out and saying it was a gotcha question. It was a gotcha question. Which it wasn't. It, it was wasn't. a gotcha self-answer. I mean, I really wanted to know, isn't this guy too conservative? So then when they said that, the media began re-airing it. Let's roll it with that reporter's question. And I'm like, I'm not a reporter. And they keep running it over. <laughs> CNN journalist. I'm like, I'm, I'm not a journalist. I'm an unpaid clown. <laughs> and and so it got aired all over again. And... and um, but for me, it's incredible that after all the lies Mitt Romney's told, mm -hmm. the media finally, for the first time ever, came down on him because someone in his tribe told the truth. That's it. That's the beauty of the story. And then he got in trouble because he came out last month and said, this in July, and said that um, Obamacare is uh, what, that it's not a tax. He came right. out and said it's a penalty, not a tax. Right. Now, remember, that was the weekend. That was Rupert Murdoch had come out and tweeted saying that Mitt needs to fire some Get of the rid people of his around people. him. Yeah. Exactly. So the next day, Fernstrom, my buddy, Mr. Etch-A-Sketch, goes on TV and says, Obamacare is not a tax. It's right. a penalty like we had in Massachusetts. The next day, Mr. Murdoch's Wall Street Journal writes the most scathing editorial to date about what an amateur Mitt Romney is. And the next day, Mitt Romney goes on TV totally refuting Fernstrom and saying how it's a tax. Not when I do it, but when mm -hmm. he does it, it's a tax. So you just saw Mitt Romney being made Rupert Murdoch's biatch in like a 48-hour period, and again, Mr. Fernstrom was the one who caused it. But Mr. Fernstrom still has his job. Still has a job, hasn't they? They're old friends. Mitt Romney's loyal to his friends, even after they get him in big trouble. Interesting, which is why uh, you know, I, I think they're in, in trouble, and which is why I think they have to game the system to even have a prayer of winning, to This be is frank. the first time you and Mr. Murdoch have agreed on anything. We do. Not the first time. Uh, I've, uh, I've been a paid soul of his for quite some time. <laughs> if you read my Twitter feed, you would know that. I, I hear that Murdoch, all the time. I think Murdoch's rooting for Obama. Let's uh, actually... Well, now, we, uh, I, I have a guest uh, scheduled for the second I half of the hour. I must go, However, yes. no, you mustn't go. It's up to you. Do you want to stick around? I can stick around for a little bit. I can stay for a, a You few know minutes. how to do the round table thing. You've done yeah, that once I, or twice I, I, I in can't, your radio I, I career. I can't stay long. I've got to right. go have my manager ignore me in person. You but do? I do have to, yeah. All right. So you can't stay for the rest of the hour? Uh, I, I'll stay as long as I can. All right. Thank as you. long as you can. Uh, here's know. what we're going to do. Oh, you're listening to the Bradcast on KPFK. I'm Brad Friedman, uh, speaking with John Fugelsang, who's going to be hanging with us, hanging with Fugelsang for uh, as long as he possibly can. We're going to take a quick break, and we will uh, come back also with Desi Doyne and the Green News, and Mark McCaffrey will join us, and it'll just be a, a free-for-all in this uh, studio. Stick with us on KPFK 90.7 FM in Los Angeles. This is your Bradcast.
What's so bad about feeling good? The fifth annual Feel Good Film Festival, running August 3rd through August 5th at Lemley's NoHo 7 in North Hollywood, celebrates the happy ending with films that are humorous, inspirational, optimistic, and which capture the beauty of our world and our humanity. Some of this year's highlights include Padyatra, a green odyssey in which 700 people journey across the Himalayas to educate villages on environmental preservation and global warming. From Spain, La Ultima Isla, a magical story of a 10-year-old girl living on a remote island with her estranged aunt, and Awaken, a love story with complications in the afterlife. KPFK is a proud media sponsor, and further information is available at kpfk.org. KPFK Film Club members are invited to call the front desk during business hours for a pair of day passes to the day of your choice. And if you aren't already a Film Club member, consider joining at kpfk.org. Science is real from the Big Bang to DNA. Science is real from evolution to the Milky Way. I like the stories about angels, unicorns, and elves. Now I like the stories as much as anybody else, but when I'm Science is real. We have to uh, we have to play a song called "Science is Real." They might be <laughs> giants, by the way. Great song. Just to underscore the point in 2012. Welcome back to your broadcast on KPFK 90.7 FM in Los Angeles, 98.7 FM in Santa Barbara, 93.7 FM in San Diego, 99.5 FM in Ridgecrest and China Lake. I am your friendly citizen investigative blogger, Brad. Friedman from bradblog.com. I am still joined by the great John Fugelsang here in the studio, hanging with Fugelsang. We can't say it's uh, Friday, but it's, just, know, right? it's it's hanging with Fugelsang. I'm also <laughs> joined by the lovely hey. Desi Doyen, our producer and my co-host on the Green News Report. We're all going to stay in here and uh, listen to the Green News Report, and then we're going to uh, be joined by... Uh, Mark McCaffrey, the Program and Policy Director at the National Center for Science Education, to talk about what I think is a pretty bombshell story that happened this week concerning the Koch brothers, concerning global warming, and concerning a, a scientist funded by the Koch brothers. We're going to talk <laughs> about it in the Green News Report. Yeah. You mean this momentous news that the overwhelming scientific consensus is correct? Uh, the news that uh, somebody involved with the Koch brothers actually agrees. Yes. Let's light up the Green News Report and we'll pick it up from there. 35 to 40 percent of the crop normally goes to ethanol. So am I going to have to fight my Audi for lunch? It's food versus fuel in the fight over corn ethanol as the nation's record drought continues. There was overdrawing of power as the demand peaked. Massive power blackout in India. Germany breaks another world solar record while we don't. Plus, climate science bombshell. The, the, the shock to me was that the carbon dioxide curve was right on. A prominent climate skeptic discovers global warming is real and man-made. Bombshell indeed. All of that and more straight ahead. From Bradblog.com, I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyen. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. Ninety percent of Iowa farmers have crop insurance. It's a, it's a federal program. 
wait, 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 wait. Hold insurance. on, sir. A federal insurance program? That's just Obamacare for our corn. Curses. Socialism wins again. This is your Green News Report. Okay, Daz, the biggest news this week as far as I'm concerned is the bombshell, as you described it. Richard Mueller, formerly a climate change skeptic, has a study funded by the Koch brothers, is now pretty much all in on global warming, all in on man-made global warming. Yes, it's hugely, hugely important, this new study. But first, a few quick headlines. A knockout blackout in India. Reuters reports that chaos has erupted in India again after the second massive failure of their electric grid in two days. There was overdrawing of power as the demand peaked. As a result, two to three grids tripped simultaneously. On Monday in northern India, traffic and transportation erupted in chaos as electricity was knocked out to over 300 million people on one of the hottest days of the year. 300 million. Oh, yes. And the population of the entire U.S. is? 300 million. Oh, my Lord. And it gets worse. Power was barely restored on Tuesday when an even bigger failure occurred. Three regional electric grids collapsed, leaving an estimated six. 120 million people without power, more than twice the population of the U.S., and that is said to be the largest blackout in world history. Meanwhile, last week, Germany set a new world record for renewable energy. Germany is now generating 26% of all its energy needs from renewable sources. That's up from 21% last year. Most of that comes from decentralized sources like wind and solar after a decade-long concerted effort to build wind and rooftop solar panels on homes and businesses throughout the country. Let me just point out, 26% of the entire country, uh, Des, you and I were on a radio show not long ago with a guy by the name of Mark Morano. He's sort of the head of the climate change denier movement, and he called uh, that sort of power boutique energy, the type of energy that we, we couldn't actually rely on to do any heavy lifting. And, of course, he's wrong about that. The National Renewable Energy Lab says the U.S. can produce 80% of its energy from renewable sources by 2050. No wonder they call him Mark Morano. Here in the U.S., record drought has pushed U.S. ranchers and livestock producers to request that the federal government suspend quotas that divert the nation's corn crop for ethanol production. The record Midwest drought and heat waves have decimated the nation's corn and soybean crops, and that has driven up the price of corn for animal feed for livestock producers. You've been saying for years that the use of corn in ethanol is really putting uh, our food supply versus our fuel supply uh, at stake. Yeah, it's cattle versus cars. Finally, that climate science bombshell calling himself a, quote, converted skeptic in the New York Times, prominent physicist and climate skeptic Dr. Richard Muller of UC Berkeley has released a landmark review of global temperature data. Although his study was funded by the oil billionaires and climate deniers, the Koch brothers, Muller nonetheless corroborates the findings of the global scientific community, finding that, quote, global warming is real. It is on the high end, and humans are almost entirely the cause, as he explains to MSNBC's Rachel Maddow. The, the shock to me was that the carbon dioxide curve was right on. Uh, at, at that point, uh, I, was, I, I was very surprised. Uh, the curve of, golden, of global warming simply matches that of carbon dioxide. Uh, at that point, my opinion finally formed. 
This was an incredible uh, revelation, frankly. This guy was a, a great skeptic. As you say, he was funded by the Koch brothers, famous deniers, famous skeptics. And, well, I guess we have to thank them for funding Richard Mueller. The climate change denial industry is now spinning furiously, trying to discredit their former friend. Some even accuse Mueller of actually being a double agent who was only posing <laughs> as a skeptic for all these years. <laughs> of course they do. For more on that story and the ones we couldn't get to, please check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. Don't forget, you can download us anytime on iTunes. You can listen to us on your mobile device via Stitcher Radio. And you can follow us 24-7 on the Twitters at Green News Report. Keeping an eye on those double agents here at Bradblog.com, I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyen. And this has been your Green News Report. Secret agent, is that right, Desi Doyen? That's is that what, what Richard Mueller be. is? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> now, folks who have seen uh, what uh, uh, Richard uh, Mueller is doing, uh, folks who are uh, not deniers, uh, also have a beef with Richard Mueller. We may get into that uh, in a moment. I really? am joined, uh, yes, I am joined uh, still in studio, of course, with Desi Doyen and the great John Fugelsang. I'm also joined now on the phone by... Mark McCaffrey, the Programs and Policy Director at the National Center for Science Education. Prior to coming to the NCSE, he was uh, to help start their Climate Change Education Initiative. Mark spent the past decade developing education programs and strategies to increase our literacy about climate change and energy issues. Welcome to the broadcast, Mark McCaffrey. It's great to be here. Uh, great to have you here. Okay, Mark, explain to us uh, why this is, and, and we're joined uh, in studio by John Fugelsang and Desi Doyen on this end. Uh, why is this uh, huge news, or is it huge news? Seems kind of like a bombshell to me, uh, this uh, conversion of Richard Mueller. You know, I, I think that uh, it's a bombshell in the, in the sense that uh, this is somebody who's great at gaining publicity for himself, and <laughs> did get funding from the Koch brothers, as you mentioned. Mm -hmm. uh, some of his funding came from other sources as well. Uh, but uh, he's been working on a number of reports. Uh, the one that he announced, uh, I guess, Sunday afternoon, and then uh, came out in, a, in an op-ed piece in the New York Times on Monday, uh, was the, the latest of these five reports. Uh, none of them have been through peer review, so the, some of the scientists that we work very closely with are really concerned that uh, he's all about kind of promoting himself and not necessarily about uh, acknowledging that, that uh, climate scientists have been talking about climate change and human causes of uh, climate change for going on over 20 years. Nonetheless, though, it, it, it's a powerful moment, is it not, when a guy, a, a scientist, a physicist, a well-respected physicist who's funded by the Koch brothers comes out and says, not only is global warming real, I mean, we're talking funded by the Koch brothers, guys who have spent millions of dollars uh, trying to undermine the science uh, of yeah. climate change, comes out and says, not only is global warming real, but, quote, humans are almost entirely the cause. That's that's no small thing uh, for, I would think, people like you who are trying to, uh, you know, increase literacy about climate change to have just, you know, exactly. one brick fall, uh, at least. That's, that's exactly right, Brad. We, we view this as a exciting kind of teachable moment, if you will, to 
be able to hopefully move closer towards an adult conversation in this country about climate and, and energy topics. Uh, you know, it's been going on, as I say, for decades. Uh, uh, ExxonMobil and others uh, for many, many years uh, funded disinformation and sort of manufactured doubt, if you will. Uh, and just in, in the past couple of years, Exxon stopped funding the Heartland Institute and, and groups like that uh, because I think, frankly, the, well, they had a change of leadership at ExxonMobil for one thing, and they also were concerned about lawsuits uh, that, that could come their way, much as like with the tobacco industry, who did use similar tactics to, you know, cast doubt and muddy the waters about uh, the health issues of, of uh, tobacco. The, the ExxonMobil and, and companies like that uh, have been concerned about having major lawsuits against them for delaying and distracting people and, and preventing us from having, uh, like I say, an adult conversation uh, about climate and energy. Mark McCaffrey, you mentioned the uh, the Heartland Institute. Uh, they were recently found to have been working to uh, change the curriculum, the school curriculum, to, uh, I guess, well, actually, explain what it is that a Heartland, a Heartland Institute is trying to do to schools and uh, our science curriculum and what it is that you are trying to do at the National Center for Science Education, I guess, to uh, combat their influence in one sense? Uh, yeah, I'd be happy to give you the sort of the thumbnails of what, what uh, Heartland's been up to and, and also what we're trying to do to combat that. But uh, very briefly, you know, Heartland's actually at one point was funded by ExxonMobil, as I mentioned. Uh -huh. They've been at this for many, many years, developing materials for teachers, uh, just strictly designed to confuse teachers and perpetuate this uh, you know, sort of national climate uh, confusion that we have. Uh, uh, so they were developing just in the past year, and I think, I think frankly, they're still developing it. They had a $100,000 grant from an anonymous donor to develop curriculum for high school students uh, that cast doubt on current science. And uh, so this, this is just the latest of their many years of, of efforts to uh, try to... Uh, keep the conversation from moving from confusion to, uh, to, to clarity. Uh, and, and we're not there yet, but, uh, you know, we're, we're hopeful that the tide is turning. Uh, certainly the extreme weather we've been seeing this summer uh, is evidence for, for, for some people that, that uh, you know, there is no new, the, the, the normal has changed and uh, there is no normal anymore. <laughs> it's, it's, I know, and it's amazing, uh, Mark, that we have to... Uh, you know, sort of fight to get science into our into our classroom. Uh, you know, as I was growing up as a, as a kid, I remember you know hearing about the the Scopes Monkey trial, the fight uh, to get evolution into the classroom. That this mm -hmm. was a big scandal, and you know, and we sort of laughed about it. That was years ago. We've moved beyond that. But uh, John Fugel saying uh, this same fight seems to be going on. We're fighting. These same fights, would, could you ever imagine that in 2012 we would be fighting to teach evolution, never mind climate change, but even evolution in our uh, uh, classrooms? Well, fake Christians wield a lot of power. And, you know, if you are a Christian, then nothing should be more spiritually irrelevant to you than the creationism story, which was not meant to be taken literally by the people who wrote it. Uh, however, when it comes to climate change, yeah. I think, number one, the best part about being a climate change denier is you're not going to be around when you're proven wrong. <laughs> uh, you know, I'm 
I'm really interested in in the notion of how it's not really conservative versus liberal anymore. Mm-hmm. It's aristocracy versus mm-hmm. democracy. And when you live in a society where the majority of people are now believing that, hey, man acti- man-made activity can cause uh, climate change and has caused global warming, and again, we never say the word pollution, and I don't understand why. Mm-hmm. This is a pollution story. This goes right back to the ecology movements of the 60s and 70s. We have to talk about the fact that it's human pollution that is causing it. And pollution is a term people can relate to. We just say emissions, which is still really too vague for Americans. But the Koch brothers are using their money to to deprive others of their voting rights, as you covered in the first half of your mm-hmm. show, and now here to push back the will of the people, the majority of whom believe in climate change science, which is the overwhelming consensus of the world's scientific community. In both cases, it's aristocracy against democracy. You, uh, Desi Doyen, you point out quite often that when the, the subject of cap and trade comes up, speaking of pollution, uh, that's how you describe it, uh, paying uh, you pay to, pay pollute. to pollute. That's the whole yeah, idea. You exactly. Know, because the, That's the, deregulation. Yeah, the business model of the fossil fuel industry and most industries actually right now in the United States is that you are free to pollute. Any of your waste, you're allowed to dump it in the air, into right. the soil, into the mm-hmm. water. You don't have to pay those costs. So, of course, if that's your base, your entire basis of your business model, you're going to fight to the Are they free to, to pollute that. or is the stipulation they ha- they're responsible for cleaning up after themselves? And It's the Bush era, you know. But, way, right? Well, they're not now. That's the thing. They don't have to. Right yeah, now, they're responsible to, for for policing yourself. They get yes, to pollute for yeah. free. Essentially, right. they get to poison all of that cost. We bear that. We, the taxpayers, if it ever gets cleaned mm-hmm. up, we have to pay it. So when they talk about regulations yeah. and killing business and killing mm-hmm. jobs, what they're talking about is laws we, the people, put into place to keep poison out of our air and water. Right. And that's how the debate has to be framed. Right. And uh, by the way, uh, a lot of jobs to be had cleaning up that crap. Mm-hmm. So uh, if you talk to the EPA, they'll say, hey, we're job creators. We need uh, people to uh, regulate to those clean up well, also because those are jobs that cannot be outsourced. You can't, uh, you know, send cleanup of this lake over here to China. You mm-hmm. can't send the, tri- the lake to China. Therefore, you must clean it up. Here. Oh, they'll figure out how. If it uh, were possible to ship houses, to put solar <laughs> panels on them, on the, you know, ship the roof to, to uh, China, they would do that. They'll figure it out. Mark, uh, Mark McCaffrey, is your, is your work getting any easier uh, amidst all of this? Or is it get? I mean, because well, a year ago or so, I think it was about two years ago in the 2008 election. Certainly, uh, the majority of the people believed that uh, global warming was happening. We had to do something about it. Then millions of dollars uh, spent by the Koch brothers, and the opinion the opinions have changed. Is your work getting any easier or any harder at this well, point? I think we've got uh, many, many years of, of digging out of the hole that we're, we've gotten ourselves in, uh, and a lot of it has to do with the fact that uh, climate change is missing. From our education system, by and large, you know, it's often taught as controversy, if it's taught at all, and in in many cases it may be skimmed over like one day out of a whole semester of an earth science class in middle school or something like that, but the fact of the matter is that students today can graduate from high school and even college without ever learning the basics of Mm -hmm. climate change, without learning really where the energy that they consume comes from, you know, where the electricity is generated or how it's generated or the impact of, of uh, that, that uh, coal power plant down the way that they don't even think about or see, uh, the impact of that coal power plant on, on the uh, environment. Uh, like you say, it is essentially carbon pollution, and, and uh, we sort of dance around the fact that, that uh, the skies, the atmosphere has been uh, essentially an open sewer for us to dump uh, carbon into, and 
of course, a lot of that carbon ends up in the oceans as well that are, it's, mm. uh, you know, acidifying. The evil out. twin of global warming, which is ocean acidification. Mm. Yeah, yeah. But I wanted to go yeah. back just for a second about yeah. uh, evolution because the National Center for Science Education actually has been on the front lines for over 20 years uh, defending the teaching of evolution in schools. And a lot of the techniques that were used by the creationists to uh, you know, try to keep, teach creationism side by side with evolution in, in public schools are now being used by the, the often it's not usually the same people. There's a little bit of overlap, but uh, the, the techniques of the ideologues uh, mm-hmm. often you know who, people who do not like government regulation no matter what uh, mm-hmm. are very similar. They'll, they'll say that science is bad. The implications of the science on society are terrible. And therefore, we demand equal time, and they've been very effective. Of, of uh, like with the Heartland curriculum, they say, you know, you guys aren't teaching the, the controversy. We need to have our side of the story heard side by side with yours. And unfortunately, a lot of teachers are already doing that because the political climate in this country is so polarized, or, or has been, around climate change. You know, you'll notice neither the uh, many candidates aren't talking about it at all. And so we have our work cut out for us. Well, you do. Our fake side of the story is what they want. Uh, the unscientific side of the story they, they wish to include in the curriculum as well. John? I, I just have a quick question, but I, I, a brief statement because I, I am afraid I have to take off. But uh, I do want to say that I have no problem with teaching uh, creationism in science class as long as evolutionary theory is taught in Bible school. Exactly. And, um, exactly. Secondly, I had a question about something that uh, you said earlier, um, uh, Mark, where you, you mentioned about the fear of potential lawsuits. Uh, can you explain what exactly the specific nature of that fear is and what lawsuits there might be over global warming and climate change? You know, I'm not, I don't know too much of the details, but there's a new book out about ExxonMobil, and it was excerpted in the New Yorker a couple months ago, and uh, the, the writer referred to the fact that in, in talking to people at uh, Exxon. Mobile in particular, they, they admitted that, that that was one of the motivations for them to, um, you know, basically stop funding Heartland and, and to admit that climate change is happening. So you go to the Exxon Mobil website and they'll say, yeah, we're doing our best to reduce uh, carbon emissions. I'm wondering who conceivably could sue these companies for financing. Well, this there was actually a science. lawsuit. Um, there was a lawsuit that was dismissed. Be, uh, I think it was uh, an Alaskan village. I believe it was yeah. Kivalina that sued, and they sued the fossil fuel industry uh, first for their climate pollution, which was causing the sea ice to yeah. recede yeah. and was, you know, basically And there's this, this case, uh, this shell case. Hasn't that been going on for uh, 10 or 20 years now? The, uh, the shell case, I want to say Africa. Ecuador, that's it. Uh, that yeah. would be yeah, that would be Chevron <laughs> in Chevron. Ecuador. Uh, Chevron uh, previously, their subsidiary Texaco mm-hmm. uh, polluted so much of the rainforest in Ecuador. The Ecuador people in that area have sued in order to wow. get them to clean it up. And Chevron says, "Oh well, you know that happened." You guys after, are so, so smart, it's scary. That's why I listen. <laughs> that's why I listen to Brett Block. And, and as a matter of fact, they had they had that suit. Uh, Exxon Mobil won, or not Exxon uh, Chevron wanted it uh, to be in Ecuador and then because they thought they could game the system over there better and then and then they lost then in they lost. Ecuador so now they're trying <laughs> other other case. international court shenanigans right. to try mm. to get that dismissed so <laughs> unbelievable well uh, at least we don't give them millions of dollars in subsidies every year for doing that oh wait we do that oh, oh yeah. yeah that's right that's right free money whereas uh, renewable if, if resources that, by the you way to, to your, beg for it and to your listeners if that argument doesn't bring your mm. conservative brothers and sisters over to this to the light 
right, that we give hundreds of millions of dollars away in subsidies to these oil companies just for being special. Um, that's a yeah. mockery to all taxpayers, especially when they're sitting on record profits and the gas prices are still this bloody high. And keep that in mind when they tell you that oh, we shouldn't give money to green technologies because we, the government should not be picking winners and losers unless the winners and losers, unless the winners happen to be named uh, Shell and keep Chevron. Keep that in mind when they tell you that Barack Obama is a socialist liberal. There that he has go. continued this practice of paying off these oil companies that rip you off daily. Mark, we only have a little bit of time left, but I just wanted to get an idea of what the National Council for Science Education, what kind of efforts you guys are putting forth and, and how people can reach you. You know, we have a website, uh, ncse.com slash climate, that t- gives you a lot of details about uh, what we're doing and some of the issues that we face in trying to make sure that uh, climate change is well taught. So if you're a parent, if you're a teacher, uh, please go to the site and, and uh, if you like what we're doing, consider becoming a member. Uh, but uh, we're in the, in the midst of trying to organize essentially like a public-private initiative that uh, could make climate and energy literacy a national priority, which I think is really where we need to be going. It's, it's incredible that we have to fight to teach uh, uh, climate change science yeah. in earth science classes. Uh, Mark McCaffrey, i got to get out. My thanks uh, to you, Programs and Policy well, Director well, at the National Center for Science Education. Check them out at ncse.com. Thanks, Mark. You bet. All right, I appreciate it. Uh, I don't know why you're shocked. Yeah. You know, look what the Pope did to Galileo. Well, what who's more powerful? Do? Well, how, how the church has always pushed around science, yeah, and now it's the new church. I know. But the church is pushing around science. Per- church is pushing around. The church of money. But now it's the billionaires who Our are pushing schools. around. Billionaires are pushing around clients, climate scientists the way the church once pushed around Galileo. Well said. Uh, that's, of course, John Fugel saying check him out at, uh, where's your site? Give me your, uh, jo- uh, there we go, johnfugelsang.com. That was easy. Or John Fugel saying on the Twitters. The Twitter, where I and follow on- Brad, and so should you. And I follow him. Oh, you can follow me on the Twitters at the Brad blog. My thanks, of course, to Desi Doyen, our producer, Margo Paez, our super-duper associate producer, to G, our soundboard operator, uh, and uh, please do stay tuned for the 4 o'clock report with John Wiener. He will be remembering Gore Vidal. My hero. And my thanks, of course, to John Fugel saying we'll be back next week. Oh, maybe not. We might be off for fundraiser next week. Uh, until then, until we next meet, you can find me on the Twitters at the Brad Blog and at bradblog.com. Thanks, John. Thank you, sir. Good night, America.